0: Uh, that's great that's great good good reminder to give thanks for all the different ways that we are full this Thanksgiving yeah. say one other thing I forgot to mention in the announcements that you might be interested in uh, you know the shoe boxes that we collected I was told uh, Lisa counted them there were 158 shoe boxes that you packed which is just wonderful to think about uh, the children who will be receiving those uh, gifts this year too thanks for your participation in that as well. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 21 this morning as we continue in this letter. And let me read this passage for us as we begin. 1 Peter 1, 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. And so your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, what a great passage that talks about, again, the blood of Christ that redeemed us, that paid the penalty for our sins, that washed us. All those things that we were just singing about a few minutes ago, we're going to talk about this morning. And I pray that we would be moved in our hearts Lord, move to serve you, move to give you our life fully and to walk in a way that pleases you. Help us, Lord, to understand the great price you paid for our salvation. Amen. There are many things that a person can choose to build their life around. For most people in our world, I think the two primary things that they think about in that way are their work and their family. And all of life tends to center around that. Sometimes people get out of balance and they put so much into their work that they become workaholics. That's sort of the driving thing in their life and affects every decision they make or everything that they do. And for others, family is more important and considerations there affect the choices we make in our time. But there are also people who really live for the weekend, you know, recreation's high on the scale, and they they live for those opportunities to uh, be involved in climbing or biking or running or things like that. Some people, it's sports cheering on their favorite team or teams, and they follow them religiously, if you will. And for others, it's maybe a special interest that they have, a hobby or a craft. But there are a lot of things that people can choose to build their life around. But as good as all of those things are, or as interesting as they may be for the Christian, there is something else that comes first. And that is our relationship with God. God is to be at the center, if you will, of everything that we do. That our thoughts should be directed toward Him in a way that asks Jesus. What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? Or what is it that you want me to prioritize in my life? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see those instructions. For example, in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment says that I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That God comes first in all of life, not just our worship. And Jesus in the New Testament said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he emphasized that as well, that in all of life, God comes first. What does that look like? And what does that mean? Those are the things we're going to talk about this morning. Because when we put God first in our life, the Bible has a word for that, and that word is reverence reverence to revere someone is to love or honor and respect them it's to give them their proper place in our life and so when we give god that proper place in our heart in our life that is reverence reverence isn't just you know coming into a worship service and being quiet or isn't just pausing to listen to god at one day a week or one time in the week No reverence for God is really listening to Him every day in all that we do. When Solomon wrote about our relationship with God, he used an Old Testament phrase to describe that in Proverbs 9.10. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He said that 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 fear of God, that reverence for Him, is really the starting point of a wise and godly life. And I think that's what Peter is getting at here when he tells us in verse 17 that since we call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, we are to live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Reverent fear. Why should we fear the Lord? Well, there are three reasons that are given in this text. Number one, we are to fear the Lord because he is our father, he's our father. And it is a remarkable thing that we can call God Father. You know, Jesus taught us to do that. He taught his disciples that when they pray, they should call upon God as their Abba Father, their Daddy, if you will, a a term of intimacy, the kind of term that a child would use for his Father. And to say that we could call this awesome, holy God, the creator of the universe, our Daddy, was really an unusual thing. You know, the pagans around Israel knew nothing like that. Their gods were capricious and malevolent. Their gods were gods that you couldn't really trust. You tried to appease them, but you never knew if you could really trust them. And here Jesus comes along and he says that we can come to God as our Father, God is holy. He's awesome. We are to fear him. But the fear that's described here is not one of that kind of dreadful terror that those who do not know God experience. I think in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis pictured it well by using Aslan, the lion, as the symbol of Christ. And Aslan, to the children, is on one level terrifying. I mean, he's a lion, You know, he's powerful. He could sweep them away with one blow of his paw. And yet he is good, and he is loving, and he cares for them. That's how God is as our Father. He is awesome in his holiness, but he is loving in his goodness toward us. And he invites us to call him our dad. J.I. Packer wrote in his classic Knowing God, he said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge that God is our Father. And so here Peter comes to us and he says in verse 17, since you call on God as Father... You know, that's what Jesus again taught us, to come at any time to God and to bring our request, to call on Him as Father. Then, now I want you to live your lives here in reverence toward Him. Peter says we are to honor God as Father, and if He is our Father, then we should make it our desire to please Him. And the desire to please our parents is one of the strongest drives that children have. Recently, we helped our kids to buy uh, some balance bikes for our grandkids and they were excited about it It was going to be a birthday present for them and so they got these balance bikes to help them learn to ride they're going to be like five and three here and uh, they were out on their bikes in that driveway and going down the road and they were so excited big smiles on their faces you know as they're learning to ride a bike and experience that skill And when a child learns to ride a bike, who is it that they they want to see them? I mean, who is it that they they look over to make sure that they're watching? It's mom and dad, right? I mean, every child wants to please their parents in that way. They're so proud of their accomplishments, and they want their mom and dad to be watching. When a child colors a picture, who do they want to show it to? Who do they run to and say, look at what I did, you know, because they're excited about that. Or when it's that first recital, or that first hit in a game, or that first shot that they make and their parents are there watching, who do they look to in the stands? It's mom and dad. And if we could transfer that thought to our relationship with God, it would help us tremendously. That God loves us. He is pulling for us, if you will. He is on our side. And his delight is when his children come to him in prayer or his delight is when his children obey him and love him and respond to him. He desires us to come into his presence. And does that understanding of God as our Father motivate you to want to please him in everything you do? We are also to fear the Lord because he is our judge. We need to remember that the one that we call Father is also the judge of all the earth. And Peter tells us here that he will judge each man's work impartially. That means there's no favoritism. He is just. He is fair. Everyone gets treated the same way or equally, if you will. There's no privilege to the rich. There's no privilege to the poor. All are judged equally according to what we know. One day we're going to stand before Him, and the Bible tells us that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And I think about that within our, in our world today, how, you know... People are concerned about everything that the government's tracking, you know, or the NSA or all these agencies that track every movement or listen in on phone calls or all this kind of information. You kind of wonder, is there any privacy anymore? And yet the God of heaven, who knows everything, understands and sees everything that we do. There's no secrets with him. One day the books are going to be open and our life's going to be there to be examined before the Lord. For the believer, it's not a judgment for salvation. It's not whether we are in or out, but it is a judgment of our life and how we use the gifts that we were given, how we use the time that God gave us, how we use the skills that we were given. Did we live in a way that honors Him? And that is pretty sobering to think about. I mean, you know, if God were to look at your schedule, would He see that He has a priority in your life? If he looked at our checkbook or our bank account, would he see that we are putting him first in our giving? If he looked at our relationships, would he see that we honor him in the way that we treat one another? And what about all those things that he's asked us to do that we maybe haven't done or ignored? One day the books will be open and every life will be reviewed before him. And that knowledge that God is our judge should be something that again motivates us to want to please him, to live in a way that honors him. And because God knows our heart, we don't want to presume upon his grace. I mean, God's grace is not a license to sin. And sometimes you run into people who kind of think that way, like, well, if God's forgiven all our sins then really doesn't matter how I live, Let me give you an example of one man who thought that way. D.A. Carson's a professor at Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School, the seminary for the free church. And there was a young man that he was meeting with who came from French West Africa, and they were getting together to practice German. This man spoke French. D.A. Carson speaks French as well as English. I think he speaks about 17 different languages. He's one of those guys who just has a gift for that. So he was meeting with this student to practice German. And they'd get together, and after they had worked on that for a while, sometimes they'd get tired, and so they'd switch to French, and they'd go out for coffee or a meal or something like that. And he began to get to know this young man, and he found out that his wife was in London training to be a medical doctor. Uh, He was an engineer who needed fluency in German in order to pursue the doctoral studies that he wanted to do in engineering, back in Germany. And D.A. Carson said, I soon discovered, though, that once or twice a week, this man disappeared into the red-light district of town. And obviously, he went down to pay his money and have his woman. And eventually, I got to know him well enough that I asked him what he would do if he discovered that his wife was doing something similar in London. Oh, he said, I'd kill her. Well, that's a bit of a double standard, isn't it, I asked. He said, you don't understand. Where I come from in Africa, the husband has the right to sleep with many women. But if a wife is unfaithful to her husband, she must be killed. But you tell me you were raised in a mission school. You know that God doesn't have a double standard like that. And he gave me a bright smile and he replied, Ah, God is good. He's bound to forgive us that's his job. You know, that kind of attitude is presuming upon God's grace. And if a person continues to sin in such a high-handed way, the truth is that they're probably not a Christian at all. John in his letter said, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Obedience is the proof of our faith. We don't obey God in order to earn our salvation. We obey God because he's changed our heart and we want to please him. We want to do the things that are pleasing to him. That's why John will go on to say that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him because if we really come to know Christ, there is this fundamental change in our heart and our desire, our attitude, that we want to please the Lord. And when we sin, we are grieved and we sense that. We sense the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts. We're disappointed in what we've done, even in ourselves. And we want to please Him and we ask for His forgiveness. God's Word Pricks our conscience. God's word is the guide that shows us how we should live, and the Holy Spirit uses that to bring conviction to our hearts. You can think of it like this: that when you're driving down the highway and you're just kind of cruising along, and maybe you haven't been thinking about the speed, you know, or anything, you're just going with the traffic, and you notice the state trooper on the side, what do you do? You know, the the first thing we probably do is if you feel like you're going too fast, you're probably going to let up on the accelerator. And the second thing is you're going to look at the speedometer and check your speed. It's almost instinctive that we do that. That's the role the Word of God plays in our life. It reminds us of what it is that God expects. It convicts us of our sin. And again, the Holy Spirit uses that and it causes us to examine our lives. Because it's so easy in life to just go with the flow, to kind of go with what's happening around you or the busyness of our days or schedules and to live without thinking or reflection. If we're not having a regular time, like a quiet time when we come before the Lord, if we're not having a regular prayer time when we just sit in His presence and pray and think about life and pray for our family, our children, our relationships, our work, those kind of things... We're not going to examine our heart to see if we really are living in the way God wants us to. We need those times when we say to the Lord, Lord, am I going too fast? God, am I doing what it is you want me to do? Is my life pleasing to you? Lord, is there anything hindering my relationship with you? Is there any sin I need to confess? And we listen to the Lord and we bring it before Him. And in those quiet times, we make it our desire then to honor God and to please Him by our life and by our actions. Thirdly, we are to fear the Lord because He is our Savior. Look at verses 18 to 21. I want to read them for us again. He said, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. When he talks about that empty way of life, again, Peter's writing to Gentile uh, believers, those who have come to know Christ out of this Gentile world. And basically he describes the way that we were once living as empty, as meaningless, as fruitless. And we came to know Christ. And he tells us, that the way that God redeemed us was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. We are to honor God because he is the one who saved us. He rescued us. He redeemed us from this slave market of sin that we were sold into slavery. We were powerless to save ourselves. We didn't have the means to be able to purchase our redemption, our salvation. And God stepped in. And He sent His Son to be the one who would rescue us and it would pay that penalty that we deserve. He reminds us that the price of our salvation, that he purchased it not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Not with those things that men value most, you know, those kind of monetary things, but he gave his life. And he describes the blood of Christ, he describes Jesus here as the lamb without blemish or defect. What does that bring to mind? It brings us back to the exodus, When God gave the instructions to Moses that every household was to pick a lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish that was to be slain, and that blood was to be taken and put upon the doorposts of their house, and when that destroying angel saw it, he would pass over, and their life would be saved. And Jesus is that spotless Lamb of God, the one whose life was without sin, and who gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for us. And then Peter goes on to tell us something even more remarkable. He tells us that Christ was chosen to be our Savior before the worlds were even made. That God conceived his whole plan of salvation in eternity past, before you or I or anyone was born, before there was even a garden in Eden, you see, Adam's sin did not take God by surprise. It was not like Adam sinned and then God said, whoops, what are we going to do now? You know, how are we going to address this problem? But even before there was a garden in Eden, there was a cross on Calvary. In Revelation 13:8, the scripture says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the creation of the world. You know, sometimes I just sit back and I think about that and I go. God, that's just just awesome. I mean, you are so different from us. You are so completely other in your thoughts, in the way that you work, in your plan of salvation. God sees the end from the beginning. He conceived the whole idea. He knew exactly what he was going to do when man sinned and rebelled against him. And he did all of that for you and me so that we could come into a relationship with him. And when you think about God's wondrous plan of salvation, how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel loved? Does it make you feel valued? Or do you understand that you are of great worth to Him? And how does it make you want to live? Does it make you want to live in a way that is fully devoted to Him? Where you give everything to Christ, all for Christ and for His glory. You know, there was a young woman in California, and this was a number of years ago, who was picked up for speeding. And she had to go to traffic court. And she gets to the traffic court there, you know, and when her time comes to go before the judge, she goes to the judge and he asks her, you know, how do you plead? Here's what you were doing, going this fast in this speed limit area. And she pleaded guilty. Judge slams down the gavel, says the fine will be $100. And then the judge did a very unusual thing. He got up, he took off his robes, and he laid them on the bench where he was sitting. And he came around the front, and he paid the fine of $100. And why did he do it? It's because that young woman's judge was also her father. And I think about that illustration, which just fits so much what was being made here. He, here that man was in the role of a father who loved his daughter, but justice needed to be done. There was a penalty to be paid, and he took it upon himself to pay that penalty. And he took upon himself the role of a savior, a redeemer. That's what God did for us. God loved us so much that he sent his son to be our savior. And he paid the penalty that we deserve. All of that was motivated by his great love for us. You know, Brian Chappell tells a story about his wife and his children. This is in the book, Holiness by Grace. And I think about, um, when I I first heard this story, my heart kind of, you know, just paused a moment when I was thinking about the circumstances of this. He said, several years ago, my wife Kathy and a friend uh, gathered up our kids and took them to the St. Louis Zoo. And they were going to see a new exhibit there that was called Big Cat Country which took the lions and tigers out of their cages and allowed them to be placed in these large enclosures. I mean, it's kind of the typical way zoos do it now, where you can see these animals in a larger area and you can go on walkways or they have the little piers that extend out so you could see them. Well, a new exhibit. Kathy's there with the kids, you know, and they're making their way up this ramp toward this uh, overlook. And uh, one of the kids' blankets got Tangled in the wheels of the stroller. And so she bent down and she started, you know, unwrapping that and getting that blanket out of the stroller. And meanwhile, their two little boys, who were five and three at that time, ran on ahead. And what they discovered was there was a small gap in the fencing, just small enough, but big enough for a three year old boy or a five year old boy to get through. And they walked through this gap in the fencing and out onto those artificial rocks that were made as it overlooks the area where the big cats were. They had been told that they'd be able to look down on the lions, and so here they were. And when she looked up, she saw her sons there standing precariously, not realizing the danger that they were in. And they're looking down and excited and going, Mom, look at the lions and the the cats that are down there. They had no concept of how much danger they were in. Kathy saw it immediately, but what should she do? If she screamed, she was worried that she might cause the boys to be startled and fall. And the gap in the fence was way too small for her to get through. So what she did was she knelt down and she held out her arms and she said, Boys, come get a hug. Come get a hug. And the boys snuck through the gap in the fence and ran to their mom. They were saved by her love. You know, I think about what God did for us here in providing a way that we could know Him. It was motivated by His love for us. And we had no idea of the danger that we were in. We had no idea what He was rescuing us from. We only come to know that through the Scriptures. And then we understand how great His love is for each of us. Can we worship a God like that? Can we honor Him and put Him first in our life, in our hearts? You see, we are to fear the Lord because He is our Father. He's worthy of our respect and our obedience. We are to fear the Lord because he is our judge and one day we will stand before the Lord to give an account for our life. And we are to fear the Lord because he is our savior. He loves us and he sent his son to die for us. Let's pray. Father, how amazing is your love that you would do all of this and that in your mind you conceived all of these things before the worlds were even made. And you've prepared a place for us that one day we will be with you forever and eternity. And Lord, I pray that we would choose to live each day in light of what is to come. That we would set our hearts to please you, to honor you, to put you first in our life. And God, where we are struggling with sin in our life, we ask you not only to forgive us, but Lord, grant us the power and the desire to change. Help us, Lord, to say no to the flesh, to say no to the temptations of this world, to say even no to just the busyness of life, the things that distract us and keep us from following you fully. And God, help us to honor you by putting you first in our time, in our relationships, in the way that we use our wealth, the resources that we've been given, all for you and for your glory. Amen.